You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Romans chapter 13 is where we are going to be today. We will be starting in verse 8 together, and we will be moving through the end of the chapter to verse 14. If you are taking notes, the study guide is, of course, on the church app, or you can take notes via the screens behind me as well if you are journaling on your own. And the title for today's message is Loving and Walking Properly. Loving and Walking Properly, as that is exactly what we will see the Apostle Paul exhorting us to do through the Word of God today. But it does us well. Again, last week, Pastor Micah uh, was in the pulpit, and he did a wonderful job exhorting us from the Word of God. But we've been a week out of Romans, and so it does us well to remind ourselves of the outline of the book of Romans. And so we know that Romans breaks up into four very distinct sections. We first encountered the wrath of God and coming to know about the wrath of God because we as people are sinners separated from God by our sin and so are under the judgments of the Lord in our separated sinful state. And we saw that from chapters 1 all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. After that, we were introduced to the amazing grace of God that we see in chapters 3, verse 21, all the way through chapter 8, about how grace is extended to us for justification and also for sanctification as well, walking in a life with the Lord. In chapters 9 through 11, we saw the plan of God there, indeed, that God does have a plan specifically for the nation of Israel, as he does for the whole world, but specifically as his chosen people, he has a plan for the nation of Israel so as to move them and love them as his. His. And currently, starting in chapter 12 all the way through the end of the book, we are looking at the will of God. And that is God's plan, God's will for all of us, for the body of Christ, for the believer. If you today are in Jesus Christ, then what is written in these chapters is specifically for you and for me and for us together as a body of believers to walk with the Lord. And from the third verse of Romans chapter 12, Paul has been exhorting the church there in Rome and us as well as we read here to walk in right relationships with those around us. And we saw him write about how to walk in right relationships with others in the body of Christ, mentioning there how the body of Christ, like our bodies, is made up of many members, many members that each have a specific function. And as they work properly, the body moves forward, the body works right, and the body is strengthened and built up. And then Paul exhorted as well the reader to behave like a Christian, acting as a citizen of heaven while still being a citizen here on the earth as well. And in that, what we saw is Paul writing about how to be, you know, like-minded and working right, behaving like a Christian, if you will, with other Christians, also with those in the world who oppose the church and oppose the Lord, how to walk in right relationships with them as well, and also how we walk and have right relationships with government authorities that we saw a few weeks ago. And today, as we close out this chapter, Paul continues in his exhortation to walk in right relationships. And so we'll call our attention to our need to love and walk properly. So with that, pick it with me there in verse eight as we read a portion of God's word as we get started. Paul says there, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you, God, for the opportunity that we have this morning, Lord, to be together, Lord, to worship you, and Lord, to worship you with song and with praise, God, that is, you are so worthy of. And Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, we continue to worship you, Lord, as we study your word. Your word, God, that is written to us and for us, Lord, to know and to have. And I pray that, God, we would today read it and hear it and so seek to apply it to our lives. And God, I do thank you for your kindness in giving us the Bible and allowing us to study it together freely here. And I pray that, Lord, we would do this with your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, back in verse 7, Paul was exhorting the believer, again, as a citizen of this world, to pay what was owed to whom it was owed. He was speaking in terms there of paying taxes, customs, honor, and fear, or you could say reverence, to governing officials as we are called to do so in the Bible. And there in verse 8, he takes the discussion of the believer's obligation to civil authorities, and he expands it out to the believer's obligation to love others as one's self. And he says there in verse 8, you'll notice again, owe no one anything except to love one another. Now, very quickly, before we get too far into this text, it's worth clarifying for us all that this passage here sometimes is used to condemn any type of borrowing or lending of finances. Like some have said that this is the Bible condemning having any form of financial debt. However, elsewhere in the Bible, we do not find the taking on of a necessary debt as sinful. So if you today have a car payment or a mortgage or medical debt or even some unforeseen necessary emergency debt that is upon you, please don't let someone tell you that this passage right here condemns you as a sinful person for that debt. That is stretching this text past what it was meant for. However, on the subject, though healthy debt is not sinful, the Bible does call us to pay our debts and to pay them on time. To not do so is stealing, and the Bible commands us not to steal. Also, the Bible does warn against taking on unnecessary debt, reckless debt, and calls him or she who takes on debt a bond or a slave to the lender. And we see that in Proverbs 22, verse 7. So I just wanted to put that in there, a clarifying statement as we get in to the text today. But getting back to the matter at hand, what Paul is actually saying is owe no one anything but to love. And what Paul is doing is he's taking the call of a believer, a call that all of us as believers have to walk in right relationships with others down to the simplest part that he can, down to the simplest call that we have as Christians. And that is the call to love one another. And it is a basic and is as basic as it gets when it comes to a believer walking rightly in this world with others. It's that new commandment that Jesus gave in John chapter 13. We're there in John 13, 34 and 35. He says there to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. 
By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And in using the language of owing a debt to someone else, Paul is showing this primary obligation that we have as a believer in this world, and that is to love. Paul is saying that this is something the Christian should never lack in. We should never get behind on. We should never default on, you could say. And the primary debt that a believer has, we could boil it down to this, that we should constantly be paying on our debt to love one another. That is what we are called to show and to live in this world. And as Paul introduces this idea of paying love, of owing no one anything but love, he then goes on to show that as believers love, that so doing fulfills the law. We see Paul saying there in the latter half of verse eight, he says, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And you may be, as I read that, thinking to yourself, well, hold on a second. I thought that Paul said we as believers were no longer bound by the law. Like, didn't Paul already deal with this relationship with the law earlier in the book of Romans? And if you're thinking that, you're exactly right. Because back in chapter seven, you remember that Paul showed us another right relationship, a right relationship of us walking in relationship with the law that is from the Lord. And it is no longer, you are right if you're thinking this, it is no longer that which saves. It actually never was. It was only that which showed us our need for a savior. As the law was given, so were we seen that we don't measure up. And so we need a savior to save us. And so we know from the book of Romans that the law, though it is no longer that which condemns us, that which we seek to measure up to so as to save us, we see it now, Paul has shown us, as a guide for our lives. It is how we pattern our lives as believers. And so with that in mind, we see what Paul is actually saying as he lists out five there of the Ten Commandments in verse 9, saying that you shall not commit adultery, murder, steal, bear false witness, or covet. These are, if you are familiar with the Bible, and if you remember from Exodus chapter 20, these are the last five of the commandments that were given there to Moses. And they're what some Bible, caller, some Bible scholars call the social commandments. The first four commandments you see have to deal with man's relationship to the Lord. They have to deal with that relationship, the vertical relationship, but yet we have these last six commandments that deal with our horizontal relationships, our relationships here on the earth. The fifth one you'll remember is children obey your parents in the Lord. And there is a promise that's attached to that one. And Paul doesn't list that one here because it's a different relationship than what he is speaking about. However, he makes sure to not miss it if you catch the text. But I, because I love what Paul says there, as he says there, and if there is any other commandment, as if we were saying, well, he didn't mention that one, so I guess I'm off the hook for that one, right? He's like, well, he didn't say obey my parents, so I don't have to do that one, so, you know, I'm good to go. I got, I got you kids in the room, but anyways. <laughs> He's saying there that if you love, you fulfill the law. He says all of them summed up, quoting there Leviticus 19.23, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And here's what Paul is actually getting at. Again, he's not putting the Christian back under the law, saying that you have to do these things or else you're not saved. No, what he's saying is that you love others. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, then these are not things that you will practice towards your neighbor. 
It's taking here the commandment to love others and using it to sum up all of the other commandments that he has listed out here. Paul is saying, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't commit adultery. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't murder, you won't steal, bear false witness, or covet. And in so loving the way that you are called, you fulfill the command to, of the law to abstain from the things that the law says to abstain from. And what we find in this, ver- in this verse for us here today, believers who, again, are not under the law, but yet are walking in right relationship to it, understanding that it guides us and leads us, and so we are called to love, and that sums up the whole law. What we see before us is a real test, you could say, a litmus test, a gauge on how we're doing, a gauge on how we as believers are walking and loving in this world as we are called to do. Again, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't do the things or you will be working on not doing the things. You will be progressing and seeking the Lord and how to not do the things listed here so as to love your neighbor as you are called. Taking these one by one, you shall not commit adultery. Speaking to you married in the room, us married in the room. We say that we love our spouse, we love our wife, you love your husband, you wives. But as we are called to love them as God has called us to love them, to say that you love your spouse, who is your neighbor in this sense, to love them and yet commit adultery, whether the physical act of sexual, sexual intercourse or the mental act of viewing pornography, or as Jesus says, adultery starts in the heart. So viewing someone else as to lust after them, if you do that, then you are not loving your neighbor as you were called to love. You're not walking out to say that you love them as you're called to do and do otherwise. Well, that's not loving the way that you're called. You should not murder. This is an easy one for physical sense. And if you're a murderer here in this room, you can just go ahead and raise your hand because our safety team would love to, you know, call the police and get you out of here. That would be amazing. And you're not loving your neighbor if you're murdering them. So, but it's not just physical. We know this because Jesus, like adultery, said in Matthew 5 that murder also is in the hearts. Dealing with bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, hateful speech, being spiteful towards someone in your heart. That, my friends, is murder. And in so doing, that is not loving as you do that to someone. You shall not steal. If you love how you're called to love, you won't take what's not yours. Pretty simple. But what does that play out for us practically? What plays out for us maybe in your job? You won't steal time. You won't steal resource. You employees will work as you're called to, as unto the Lord, as we see in Colossians. Or you employers will be those who employ well. You will manage your time. You will manage your business dealings. You will be those that are working and loving and not stealing. You should not bear false witness. True love doesn't lie. True love doesn't act dishonestly. You can't be loving your neighbor as yourself and at the same time lying to them. And you should not covet. I know that you're getting the idea by now, but if you say you love your neighbor, yet you look at their life and you're dissatisfied in your heart with your own and you covet after their stuff, you covet after their life, you are dissatisfied and so look at them and begin to hold bitterness in your heart towards them, then you are not loving them the way that you're called to love. And this right here, I'm thankful for because it's plain and simple. It's plain and simple for us that if you're loving, if you're giving love, paying it as it's owed to those around you, then the law, the commandments, how we are called to live in Christ, it's fulfilled. But if you are coveting, committing adultery, lying, stealing, or murdering, then you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. It's very simple for us today. 
It's laid out there. Right relationships in the Lord and in this world are marked by real love. And we want to walk as we are called to. We want to love as we are called to. And if we are truly loving, then we will walk this out. Because again, you can't love someone truly as you're called to if you cheat them, lie to them, cheat on them, covet their life and their stuff, or murder them. Paul says it's all fulfilled. It's all fulfilled. It's all covered as we walk rightly simply when we love. As we love, we are paying what we owe, what we are called to do, how Jesus commanded us to walk in this world. Paul says there owe no one anything but to love. This is a debt we must not default on. This is a debt that we must never be late in paying. This is the call of the believer. And Paul, as he says this, he speaks about loving. And so what this does is it calls for action. And so Paul is now going to tell us how to walk. And it's our walking this world, our walking properly that Paul jumps to next as he goes into the rest of this chapter. Pick up me there in verse 11, where he says, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of lights. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Paul here, exhorting the reader to love, he couples it now with an exhortation also to be mindful of the time. And you see what he says there. He says, now it is high time to awake. He says, wake up, believer. Wake up, Christian. Wake up, you who are a follower of the Lord, out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And when he says that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, what he's speaking of is the realization of our salvation in full, our being physically with the Lord. One day, all of us have this coming where we will realize our salvation in full. And man, that's going to be an amazing day. It's going to be an amazing day, whether individually or corporately in the rapture, we all realize our salvation in its fullness. When we are face to face with the Lord, when we are, as John says there in Revelation chapter, uh, chapter four, immediately in the spirit, like what an amazing time that's going to be. Because if the book of Revelation is any indicator, we're going to be immediately in the spirit and focused right on the throne of God and the one who sits upon the throne. That's exciting. That's going to be amazing. And we will realize that day, the fullness of our salvation. And Paul, what he's saying here is that that day is nearer than when we first believed. Some of you have been Christians for years. Some of you have been Christians for decades. Some of you have been Christians for months, maybe for weeks, maybe for days. If that's the case, praise the Lord. We want to hear about that because that's an amazing thing to celebrate. But from whatever time and place where you made the decision to follow the Lord, understand that every day that goes by, you are nearer and nearer to realizing your salvation in fullness as you see the Lord and you're in his presence. And again, that day is coming for us all. And because of that, Paul says, awaken, wake up, realize what is needed. And that's what Paul moves into and drives Paul's exhortation as he continues on. 
Because after saying, awake from sleep, knowing again that our salvation is near, he said that the night is far spent and the day is at hand. And what he's saying here is speaking of not only the realization that our salvation in fullness, our being with the Lord is close, but also the fact that, hey, this dark world that we live in, this fallen place that we live in, that we know from Romans chapter eight is groaning and desiring to be back in and with in the right state that the Lord created it all in, we need to know that that world that we live in now is dark. But that darkness with every passing day, and it's going away, right? Our darkness that we live in with every passing day is passing, and the day is at hand. The day that he speaks of here is this glorious, hopeful day of Jesus ruling and reigning and our being with him. He says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. And so for that, Paul says, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. He says, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The imagery here is that of taking off of a garment, taking it off and casting it somewhere, away, to the far reaches of anywhere. Kind of like my five-year-old with his laundry We have two boys, Oliver and Henry, and Oliver's five. And so we're like giving him things to do, more things to do. Like, hey, take your dishes to the sink, which is fun and really loud because he tries to throw it from as far back as he can to make it into the sink. We have to make sure we don't give him anything glass because it's no more if that's the case. But specifically with his laundry, we tell him, okay, go put it in the laundry basket, which is in the bathroom near the shower. And it never ends up there. He casts it off, but I mean, where he casts it off to is, is anyone's guess at any time. We find it in the closet. We find it in our closet. We find it in the schoolroom. We find it under his dresser. Like that is just where he cast it to. I don't know, but he casts it off. And that's the imagery that we see here. It's this casting off of darkness to somewhere. Where it's at, it doesn't matter. It's not on you any longer. It's away. It's behind you. It's away from you. We are to cast off darkness, Paul says, and then to put on the armor of light. The language there could be more of suit up, if you will. Don't just put it on, but suit up. Walk ready. Paul says there, cast off darkness and suit up there in the armor of light. That which is not of darkness, but up of light. And the contrast of darkness to light, we as believers are familiar with because the Bible talks about how believers are to walk as those in the light. Some verses, for examples, we see 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5, where it says there, Paul speaking, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. We are not of darkness. We are of the light. So we are to cast off darkness. Pastor Micah last week spoke about in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, a reminder for us where Paul says there, for you were once darkness. Indeed, we were. We see that explicitly in the book of Romans and from the Bible that we were as sinners once darkness. But Paul says, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of lights. That's our position. That's our call. That's who we are. We're no longer in darkness. We're to cast that away. And Jesus says in John 12, 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. See, we as believers are called light, opposed to darkness, walking with the light of Jesus in our lives. And we are called to put that on, to cast off darkness and come out of it because we no longer belong to it and are put 
in the light, and so we should put on the light and walk in the Lord. And Paul, as he does with other letters, what he does is he puts feet literally to this exhortation because he says there, let us walk properly, literally putting feet to it as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Paul says here, let us walk as in the daytime. Let us walk boldly, exposed in the light, not hiding out in the darkness, not walking in the dark, not shrouded, not being in the shadows. You see that word properly there, I love it because it, it could also be translated honestly. You see what Paul is saying here is let's walk honestly. Let's walk true to the position that we are in, in Jesus. You want to walk? Walk honestly, upright, true to who you belong to. And we as believers belong to Christ. Paul says, cast off darkness, put on the armor of light, stay out of the darkness. You're not a part of it anymore. Walk as children of the light, not in revelry and drunkenness in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Walk true, honestly to who you are. And then he ties it in with this final exhortation where he says in verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision, make no provision for your flesh to fulfill its lusts. This final exhortation of this chapter what it does is it calls the believer to apply the already sure relationship that we have in Jesus every single day. And it's again, a picture here of taking something that you have and putting it on. And the language there is something that's already at your disposal, something that you own, something that you have, and you put it on so as to walk forward. Kind of like in this season where it's starting to get kind of chilly. Actually, we're in that weird back and forth, right? Because it was amazing yesterday and today it was like, what happened to the amazing weather outside? But it just is what it is. But it's like when cold weather starts to come, you start to look at your jacket closet, right? You get the mothballs out or whatever, you get all the dust off of it and you get ready to put those jackets on. Now, something about me, I love two things in this world. I love a lot of things in this world, but two things, like things, I love backpacks. For some reason, I love backpacks, like different backpacks. If it has more pockets and can serve me and can be real fun, man, I love it. I love backpacks and I love jackets. I love jackets, which is odd because if you know me, I don't wear jackets very much. <laughs> I wear vests and I wear flip-flops in the winter. So, you know, whatever. But I love jackets. I love the idea of a jacket. I love fun jackets. I love them. But I don't like paying for jackets. I hate paying for jackets because jackets are expensive. And I'm also a snob. My wife will attest to that forever. And so I buy nice so I don't have to buy twice type of thing. My parents taught me that. And so like jackets are expensive. And so I'm the guy who looks in July for jackets. <laughs> like we go to REI or something like that. And I'm like, all right, where's, where's the clearance rack? And I go find like a $200 puff vest for 30 bucks. I'm like, yes, this is the best thing ever. But it's July and it's hot in July, so I'm not going to wear it in July. I don't wear it in December sometimes, so I'm definitely not going to wear it in July. But there comes those days where it gets a little chilly outside. And I'm excited about my jackets. I really am. I go and I get that jacket out and I put it on. And then what I've done is I've made provision for myself to walk prepared in the world. Say, so I've put this jacket on and the language that we see here of putting on Christ is the same type of idea. We take that which is already ours, a relationship, a standing, access to Jesus, and we take it and we apply it to ourselves. And we are to do that every single day. 
And the language there, the idea is that of taking that relationship and applying it fresh to yourself. And that's not to say that every day you're to wake up and be like, Lord, save me today. He saved you, and so he's got you. And as you walk with him, you're his. But what it is meant to show is that we are to feed into that relationship every single day. We are to wake up and simply say, Lord, I'm here. I want you. Jesus, lead me. Jesus, guide me. Jesus, show me today how to walk with you. We put on Christ. We put on Jesus so as to walk forward victoriously and properly with him. We feed into that relationship. And on the flip side of that, we make no longer any provision for our flesh to fulfill its lusts. The idea here of making provision for the flesh is much in the same way of putting on Christ, but to the negative. The idea of making provision is that we feed, we plan. We think, how can I do this? How can I keep this around? Even just keep it alive just a bit, just to go to it every now and then. Make provision for it to exist, to survive. The Bible says make no provision for your flesh to fulfill its lust. Make no provision, choke it out, cut it out. Be rid of it, the Bible is saying. Make no provision for your flesh to fulfill its lust. And as children of God, as believers in Christ, this is to be the call that we all have. The call that we have to be about seeing how we can find ways to always put on Christ, to plan how that relationship grows, no longer making provision for our flesh and allowing it to grow and continue to live, even if on life supports. We are called to say, I am done with that. It is dead because I'm a new believer. I'm a new creature. I'm a new creation in Christ. I have identified with him. You remember back in Romans chapter six, Paul talked about this. He introduced this idea of being new in Jesus Christ, of being identified with him. And he said in verse 11 through 14, likewise, you also reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall have no dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You see, here now in chapter 13, we see this exhortation, this doctrine really from chapter six amplified. That not only are we to present our members no longer to unrighteousness, no longer let sin reign in our bodies, but we aren't to make any provision for it to continue to survive. We aren't to make any provision for it to continue to even be there to have any type of power over us or to regain power over us. Because you see, as chapter six says that we are dead to sin, what it means is that sin, your flesh, no longer has authority over you. It was killed. It was crucified with Christ. And so though we still are flesh, though we are still flesh and bone, we are humans with a flesh nature, that flesh nature no longer rules us. Before it did. Before we were slaves to our sin, only able to obey it. But once we put on Christ as believers, our flesh was rendered inactive. The problem is we make provision for it to stay alive. The problem is we make provision for it to continue to move and to work and to go. And Paul here says, make no provision for your flesh to fulfill its lust. 
And that's a word for us today, my friends, for all of us, because we are all sinners. And we are all, even if you're a saved day, sinners. It's a sin nature that still likes to rear its ugly head. And we, as believers, still in our flesh, at times make provision for that flesh to fulfill its lusts. And this word here today, we are called to no longer make that provision, to no longer allow it to reign, to rule, to move, to even live, even just to have a little tick on the monitor. We aren't to allow it to be there. We are to make no provision for our flesh. We are to put it away. But we can't put away our sin and we can't have victory over it if we're feeding it. That's inescapable today. It's inescapable today that you cannot put your flesh away if you're still feeding it. Maybe your issue is gossip. Maybe your issue is every time you have a tidbit of information, you just have to share it. You have to call up or text. You have to plan a wine night, you ladies, or a bonfire, you dudes, because that's, we do it too. And every time that you hear that thing, you immediately go to that person that you want to speak to. Well, you can't make make your flesh put away if that's always where you run. You can't put your flesh away if that's where you always go to and you continue to do so. You continue to make that provision for your flesh to work. You who have a porn addiction, maybe for you, you're like, I want to beat this thing, but you're still making provision. You aren't putting accountability software on your laptop or your devices or your phone. You're not willing to get a flip phone. You're not willing to cut the power off of your internet. You're not willing to tell someone that you have an issue and it's killing your marriage because it's adultery still in the heart or it's killing just you as an individual. It's ruining you and it's reigning and ruling in your life. If you're a believer, you are to, you are to make no provision for your flesh, fulfill its lust. Cut it out. Whatever your issue is, Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's coveting. Maybe it's bitterness. I don't know what it is today, but if you're feeding it, if you're making provision for it, then you're not walking properly as we're called to do. We are called to make no provision for our flesh to fulfill its lusts. So whatever it is, that is your issue. And we all have our own issue. Like each of us in here, we're individuals. We all have our own little individual thing that we do. Some of us more than others. We all have these things and it will continue to be an issue if we continue to make provision for it. You can't beat sin. You can't put it away. You can't walk properly unless you deal with it as we're called to do. And we are called to deal with sin, to cut it out of our lives, to not let the old man, the flesh continue to rule. And many of us want to kill it. Many of us want to stop the support, right? Like I, I would imagine if I had conversation with you guys, real conversation with you about your sin, that you're like, yeah, I, I don't like it. Especially as you grow in the Lord and as you follow him in a relationship, our sin just becomes more and more as we seek Jesus and we seek to follow him and he seeks to deal with it. Our sin becomes that much more disgusting to us. And as it becomes disgusting to us, we want to deal with it. But Unless you're willing to deal with it, don't be surprised that it hangs around. Don't be surprised that it continues to be fulfilled if you continue to make provision for it. Paul says, put on 
the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Until we do that, our flesh will continue. Though it is rendered powerless, we'll continue to feed it and give it the power that it wants in our lives. And with this today, this exhortation from Paul, we are called as believers simply to love and walk properly in this world as believers. To wake up and walk about in the love that we're called to by Jesus and to walk properly true to our relationship in the Lord day in and day out. The question for us today on both of these is, are we? The question for us today, and it is an individual question today, it's an, or it starts as an individual question, I'll say it that way. Because you and I, again, walk in a single individual relationship with the Lord. That's the beautiful thing about walking with Christ, right? That he loves the whole world, but he loves you and you and you and you and all of you and all of us. He loves us individually, right? That's so cool. That's so amazing that our God can love the whole world. Jesus died for the whole world and yet know us so intimately and personally. And in that, this question, are we loving properly and are we walking properly? Are we walking in the right relationships that God has called us to do? That is an individual question for us today to investigate and to ask honestly within ourselves, and to ask the Lord to answer honestly. And he does so by giving us the word of God. By giving us the word, he shows us here what loving properly and walking properly looks like. So are you doing so? Are you loving so as to fulfill the law? Are you owing no one anything except love? And are you on time with your payments? And are you walking properly as in the day, casting off darkness and putting on the armor of light, walking true to your relationship with Jesus, putting on Christ and making no provision for your flesh to fulfill its lust. That is a question for you today to ask. And it's a question today that as you ask that and you answer it honestly, that you didn't decide, okay, do I wanna deal with it or do I wanna stay the way that I'm at? Do I wanna deal with it and put on Christ and walk how I'm called to or am I content with just being? And I pray that as individuals, we would be sick of our sin. We would not want to continue to provide for our flesh to fulfill its lust. And we would desire to love as we are called to love, as Jesus commands us to love. Because though it's an individual question, an individual choice that each of us make day in and day out, it affects us corporately. Because as a church, we again are a body Many members making up one body. And as the body is strong, as the body is strengthened, as the body is working and walking, every member is walking and working the way it's supposed to, the body grows and the body is strong. And we as a body are called to walk. To walk when we're scattered individually, but also to walk together, corporately. And so today, the question is for you as an individual are you walking and loving properly? And understand that it not only affects you, but it affects all of us as the church, built up and called to be built up and walking, showing the light of the Lord in this world.
Are you walking? Are you loving? And I say that to myself as much as I say it to you guys, because again, each of us individually need to be walking properly and loving properly so that we together can show Jesus in this world. Let's pray together.